1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan again. Episode 327, recorded September 7th, 2020. So,
0: we had so much fun last time doing uh, new visions that we uh, decided to continue with uh, issues uh, 14 and 15, right?
1: Yes, 14 and 15. And especially when we saw that uh, Kirk's brother Sam was going to be in the next one. And Byrne actually went to the trouble of not just putting a mustache on uh, uh, on Shatner's head.
0: Right, put a whole beard.
1: A whole beard, and uh, I think he did some other things to alter the face a bit.
0: Yeah, I was but, all excited but... about this one, because how are they going to bring Sam back to life? I was, I was exactly. very intrigued. That's a very good point. Because the last time we saw him, he had a booger on his back, and he was dead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Operation Annihilate. And they had those rubbery booger looking things <laughs> that would that would fly around into people's backs and sting them and kill them right so yes, so how did he come back from there? I was really excited to find out. yeah, I, I thought maybe we were going to have some big continuity issue going on or uh, did did Shatner have a or did Kirk have a second brother somehow
0: uh no, no anyway. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. And then the next issue, Mm -hmm. uh, they, Byrne decides to play homage to uh, another classic sci-fi show. Yes, indeed. That he obviously does not have the rights to make, so uh, (laughs) it's some funny business.
1: (laughs) Yes, but he knows the readers of his Star Trek uh, books are probably very familiar with this other character. And we can put two and two
0: together. And we come know up with
1: five. That's right. Well, we've read it. So, so,
0: but yeah. So, uh, I was very, very excited about these two books. Yes, and and in the end, uh, how how excited were you about the ending of them? How uh, they turned out? Eh, I was a little little underwhelmed, but uh, but I mean, they were an enjoyable read. Just didn't live up to the hype that I had uh, yeah. put on it,
1: and, and I did enjoy the Sam one better than the Traveler. However, um, they both had prop. I had problems with both of the store parts of the stories, and just that they really make sense. Right, uh, parts, right. Of them, par- I mean, parts of them. Part. I mean, parts are fine, absolutely fine. But s- what some of the characters did. I just didn't fully understand it. Sure. And we'll talk about it. What was the motivation? Uh, What was the thought process? Um, Anyway. Okay. I get to do the first one. Shall I start? Please. Okay. So, issue number 14 of New Visions is titled Sam, and the published date is February 2017. Photo montage and story and all that kind of stuff, John Byrne, and then edited by Chris Rael, published by Ted Adams. The cover. So the cover features Kirk, Spock, and Sam, Kirk, in a closed kind of space station-looking surrounding, or maybe it's a ship. It's hard to tell, but you're inside of some kind of enclosed technology place. And uh, they are surrounded by nine, at least nine Klingons. Kirk has his phaser out, but little good it will do him, since all the Klingons have their disruptors out and uh, many of them are trained on our, uh, our three heroes. On the bridge, Uhura informs Mr. Spock that Starbase 11 requested the Enterprise who divert there to pick up a prisoner who is a murderer. Spock objects, saying prisoner transportation is not a duty a Constitution-class ship normally takes on. Uhura clarifies the prisoner is George Samuel Kirk, the captain's brother, Da-da-da! Commercial break. Later, after the Enterprise enters orbit around Starbase 11, Kirk beams down alone to meet Starbase Commander Jose Mendez. Mendez is both surprised and not surprised Kirk chose to beam down alone, without a second command-level officer and two security guards, which is called for by regulation. Mendez tells Kirk that Sam turned himself in, and confessed to the killing. The body was exactly where Sam said it was. Since then, Sam has not said a word. A little later, they enter Sam's jail cell. Kirk asks him what's going on, and Sam apologizes for the circumstances, but says it's good to see his brother. Mendez leaves them alone for ten minutes to talk. Sam answers Kirk's question by saying he got into an argument with Engineer Finner, which led to a fight. Finner fell down and fractured his skull when Sam pushed him. Now he's dead. Kirk says there must be more to to it than than that, given Finner's poor service record in Starfleet. Finner was up on charges ten times. Petty offenses... But- But it really does show that he did not deserve to wear the uniform. Sam would not have been mixed up with a man like that. Sam says he appreciates the vote of confidence, but that is all he can say about what happened. Later in Mendez's office, he says all the evidence gathered so far points to Sam. Later still, McCoy and Spock tell Kirk the results of their read of the evidence. All evidence points to Sam being guilty of murder. No discrepancies found, so far, that support a different explanation. Later, Kirk is going over the evidence and discussing it with McCoy. Finner and Sam were both on Cygnus Alpha 4 colony, which is near the Klingon border. They did not appear to know each other there. When Finner was transferred to Starbase 11, Sam showed up there too. It looks like Sam was maybe following him. McCoy asks, why would a biologist be following a borderline shady Starfleet engineer? Kirk says he does not know, but he will find out if he has to shake it out of Sam and storms off. McCoy talks to Spock about it, and they decide to offer Kirk the option of Spock mind-melding with Sam. Kirk rejects it, except as a last resort. McCoy observes it may already be their last resort. Meanwhile, Ensign Rand standing outside Sam's prison cell, and they are talking. On the bridge, Kirk and crew notice a ship trailing them at long range. Metallurgical scans indicate a Klingon ship. Cut to the bridge of Captain Koloth's D-7. Their chatter indicates... They are following the Enterprise with the apparent intent of taking Kirk's head to present to the Klingon Emperor. Sulu reports sensors lost contact with the mystery ship. Kirk orders him to alter course to conduct a quick search, but to make it short because they have a schedule to maintain. Spock brings up the coincidence that Sam and Finner lived on a colony near the Klingon border and now the Klingons apparently are tracking our ship. Kirk says that may or may not be coincidence, but if that is a Klingon ship, it is too deep into Federation space now, so it's their duty to send it back where it came from. Sulu's search turns up nothing, so Kirk resumes course to Earth, Warp Factor 5. The Klingon sees the Enterprise warp out of the area and starts to follow it. They make it clear that it's actually Sam Kirk they want, something about acquiring the last of the data gathered by their agents that will ensure victory in a coming war. Kirk tries to talk to Sam again but he won't spill the beans. Sam knows something but will not tell his brother. The Klingon ship increases speed to maximum and closes the gap between them and the Enterprise that is cruising at warp 5. The Klingon beams Sam off the ship, but Kirk moves close enough to be transported with him. The Klingons kick it up to warp 8.7. Spock realizes what happened and orders a pursuit course. Warp 9! Captain Kirk and his brother find themselves in the Klingon D-7's transporter room that looks surprisingly similar to the Enterprise's transporter room. Introductions are made to Captain Koloth, and his first officer, Korax, Because Kirk does not know who they are, the Klingon takes them away to another part of the ship. On the bridge, Sulu reports the D-7 is slowing down to warp 6. McCoy wants to catch them, but Spock is more cautious, and points out it will still take them some time to catch up, given their head start. Over objections, Spock orders Warp eight speed. In the meantime, Kirk is in what looks like Koloth's ready room, being told to cooperate or the mind shifter will be used on him. Kirk insists on being told why they kidnapped Sam. Koloth finally agrees in a rather playful way, reminiscent of a godlike being of Kirk's acquaintance, a cat playing with a helpless mouse. In the meantime. An even more helpless mouse, named Sam, is at Korak's mercy. He tells Sam he wants the information Finner passed to him. Sam says he has no information from Finner, and would not give it to him even if he did have it. With a pleased tone in his voice, Korak says, In that case, Mind Ripper time! As he points to an ominous-looking chair bolted to the floor against the wall. Meanwhile, McCoy is trying to force Spock to speed up to save Jim. Spock says soon and asks Sulu to bring the forward phaser banks online, despite the Organians almost certainly will not let Spock use them. They will catch up in four minutes, and Spock wants to use a boost of speed at the last minute. In the D7, Kirk is told his brother has something to do with the Klingon espionage through Finner. Kirk does not believe it, and it angers him enough to physically attack the two guards and take their disruptors. Kirk has Koloth dead to rights, and the disruptor is not hot to the touch. The organians are not intervening. Koloth confirms what Kirk has just discovered that the Organians are no longer interfering and keeping the peace. The Klingons have known that for some time, and are taking advantage of it to strike a decisive blow against the Federation. Elsewhere on the ship, Krax is about to use the Mind Ripper on Sam, who is trapped into the seat, saying he has no information to give the Klingon. Kirk arrives outside Sam's interrogation room, with Koloth at gunpoint. Koloth reminds Kirk Kirk, disruptors have no stun setting. Instead, Kirk Kirk knocks Koloth out with the butt of the gun, and blasts away into the interrogation cell. There he kicks butt on Korax and his men, and takes Sam into the hallway with alarms ringing. Meanwhile on the Enterprise, Spock, Scotty, and two red shirts prepare to transport to the Klingon ship to play commando team. Kirk and Sam play cat and mouse in the D7, and Kirk finds out Sam actually thought Jim was in league with Finner. What an idiot! Kirk intends to cripple the D7 by getting to engineering, but soon realizes engineering is a dead end. Koloth and his security team is swooping in for the kill, when Spock and his team beam onto the ship with phasers set to heavy stun. In the firefight, a redshirt is disintegrated before the Klingons are all subdued. Before they beam out, Kirk orders Scotty to cripple the D-7 on the Federation side of the border. They beam out just as the Klingons bust their way into engineering. Kirk contacts Mendez, who dispatches more ships to guard the Klingon ship and document its incursion into Federation space. Mendez says With Sam's exposure of the Klingon agent Finner, his actions are likely to get reclassified. Instead of being accused of murder, he may end up getting accommodation, which apparently means Sam will not be convicted of murder now. After the channel with Mendez is closed and Kirk and Sam leave the room, Kirk and Spock agree When they reach Earth, they need to make the Brass aware of the Klingons' plans to attack the Federation. With the Organians apparently out of the picture, they need to prepare. They arrive at Colony 2, and while preparing to beam Sam back down to his family on the planet, Sam insinuates he killed off Finner. When Finner disclosed he was working with Jim to funnel Federation secrets to the Klingons, Sam asks, "What else could he have done?" As Sam disappears for the transporter pad, Jim answers, "You could have trusted me." The end. Could have trusted him. You could have trusted me. So, I think the last I think the last page where they're showing, you know, Kirk's last interaction with Sam before he ends up dying uh later in the future is right. uh is sad and kind of serious because they're basically showing brothers a a big rift between two brothers. Now, mind you, everything that happened doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Why would Sam believe Finner over what he knows his brother is, which is not a traitor? I just don't understand.
0: Right. At least he didn't actively kill him. He he just pushed him in. He... Bumped his head and accidentally died. It's not like he went out to murder. Well, I liken
1: it to Data when he was on the episode uh, The Most Toys, where, uh, you know, where he was captured by Vasha, not Vasha, well, whatever that guy's name was.
0: And he was in the little cage with the
1: chair? Right. And basically, you know, it was this rich guy's latest toy, right? Uh, but in the end, data, as we all recall, data was beamed away. Just as he was, he had a decision to make: was he going to kill, kill, kill the bad rich jerk, or was he going to let him, let the bad jerk kill that woman? So what did data do? Um, and then in the end, he was beamed away. <laughs> and it was like, well, you don't really know, although you kind of do, because didn't Riker say something about an active weapon was deactivated?
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, the other so, was activated.
1: There you go. So it was kind of like, and I think in a similar way, although you kind of know from what they said at the end, what Data's decision was, they kind of leave it nebulous here with Sam. I mean, was it truly 100% accidental? Or, was, or did Sam... Believe what Finner said, and because of it, to protect his brother and to protect the Federation, that he actually found the ability to kill Finner. It's not one hundred percent clear. Right. Uh, we know what he said at the beginning, and like in the be- in the in the in the beginning and middle, but then we have the revelation towards the end uh, that supposedly Finner told him that he was working with with his brother, Captain Kirk,
0: right, Jim Kirk.
1: So. I don't know. Hmm.
0: It has you wondering. That does have you wondering.
1: It does have you wondering, and I kind of like that. But what I don't like is, I just don't think Sam would believe Finner. What? Would he he trusts, he, be, he
0: believed Finner enough, he believed Finner more than his brother? Did he? I don't. Well, I guess he was doing some sort of investigation himself, right? Because he was following him from planet to planet. Well, good point. That's a good point. So, so, Finner I mean, must have told him
1: this back on the colony. Right. And to protect his brother, to protect the Federation, don't know, he followed Finner. Okay, so that would be motivation for him following Finner. Um, or Finer, however you pronounce his name. Anywho.
0: Mm. Anyways, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that, that last page, to to get back to your last page, uh, is very sad. When he's slowly dissolving and then and then in my head, I was like, and he never—they never saw each other again. Right. So, how much time do you think it is between this issue and the episode uh, where he's dead? Because that, that episode it, is then the first, huge, first. I don't season. think a huge amount of time. Yeah, it couldn't have been, because I mean, how long was Kirk in charge of the Enterprise before season one? Well,
1: okay, so Operation Annihilate, where Sam died, that was the 29th episode of Season 1. Uh, so that was towards the end. Right. Of Season 1. But uh, Okay, so let, let's talk about that. So there are a couple things that help us place the time period, but uh, admittedly some things not, that doesn't help that much. Um, like Koloth. So right. Kirk said he didn't know Koloth, but Koloth is the main Klingon in The Trouble with Tribbles, which is season 2. Exactly. The middle of season, uh, episode 13 right. of season 2. So that really doesn't help us that much. I mean we already knew it had to be before episode 29 of season 1.
0: Right. Um, and
1: Rand is there, so And Rand You know did, that in season season 1. You know it's season 1. For sure. Exactly. So when did Rand stop showing up? I mean, was she there all the way through to the end of season one? I think she leaves like in episode 13 or something. Okay. 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 There you go. Sure. There you go. So, okay. So what is
0: her last episode? I mean, that, that would be a good indication, right? Right. So her last episode was episode 12 of the first season. So oh. this had to have take place either before the show started, although they're not wearing their where no man has gone before uniform. So it has to be between episode two and twelve. Yeah, and of course, we know we got, yeah, we got bones there, so. There you go.
1: Yeah, uh, cool. So that's early, that's early days. Taw's early days. So that that explains it. We were wondering how could Sam be in this because right. he's dead. Well, it turns out that. Uh, it's a prequel to exactly, that Exactly, <laughs> exactly, right. So, yeah, so so Burn frequently has things that happen probably post-Taw's. But he can jump in anywhere. Right. So um,
0: I, I have not that. Far, I mean, I've seen Operation Annihilate, but I don't know it word for word. Does he say how long it's been since he'd seen his brother when he? I don't recall. I yeah. I don't recall. Okay. It's been a while since I've seen it, and I've seen it plenty, but it's been a while. Right. So we'll assume that he doesn't say it's been years since I've seen my brother. Probably not. And I guess his and everybody on the crew knew that he had a brother, mm-hmm. which I guess would make sense after this issue because they've all met him. <laughs> it wouldn't be like you know because McCoy yeah. says, "Isn't your brother on that planet, Denova?" Yeah, and uh, he. So I mean, how would McCoy? I mean, would McCoy really know everything about Kirk's family? But if he had actually met the man and kind of knew where he was, then that makes more sense now. Sure. Good job, John Byrne.
1: John yeah, and he does a couple things to kind of maintain continuity, which is cool. So he gives I – mean, bravo, Burn. It's like you must be loving – Byrne is actually explaining a little bit of what happened to um, the Organians and their involvement of being between the Klingons. Uh, because... So what
0: episode was that?
1: Uh, the Organian one, uh, yeah. Uh, ooh, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but uh, boy, oh, I, it had better be earlier than Conscious of the King.
0: Exactly, that's what I was getting at. I was like, so uh, what? Uh, so that was uh, the Observer Effect. No, Errand of Mercy, right?
1: Errand of Mercy, the Observer Effect. That sounds like a good title,
0: even though I don't think so. That was episode twenty-seven. Ah! Ooh, delicious. Okay, so so we're talking about two episodes in between Operation Annihilate and uh, the Aaron of Mercy. So this must have just happened right after uh, Aaron of Mercy.
1: Okay. Uh- Okay, so the Conscious of the King, though...
0: Is 12. Oh, yeah. Rand's not there anymore.
1: Burn! (laughs) Burn! (laughs) No! Oh, no! Okay, so... (laughs) We know she's still there. Uh, And we know the Organians just barely were involved before we have... this incident. So the Organians didn't
0: stick around very long. No, like less than two episodes in between. <laughs> okay. Huh. Interesting. So yeah, now I'm all mad again. <laughs> <laughs> Things don't well, match up.
1: I know. And you are the continuity police. So.
0: And what, what kind of annoys me is that Byrne already did kind of like a flashback issue – not issue, but like short story of mm. Rand leaving the ship. So, so I was already going. Okay, well, this must be before she leaves the ship in in that issue, right? But now it can't because she's she's already gone, but she's there. Yeah, yeah. So,
1: anyway, you know, when you write a story, especially when you're trying to insert yourself into an existing timeline, mm-hmm. um, it's difficult to be a hundred percent perfectly. Consistent with what's what's gone before, right. which, I, which I think the uh, the folks from uh, Star Trek Discovery have experienced. Uh-huh. Have <laughs> yeah,
0: well, and the Next Generation did did it the same way. I mean, I, I've said it many times. They they make such a big deal that Data's the first android. Oh yeah, yeah. And I know you try to retcon it by saying it's the first it's, it's human android, created android, but yes, exactly. That's, that's not. They never say that in the movie or the show. The show. It's always he's the first android. And we've seen tons of androids in the original series. Yeah. It's like every other episode. (laughs) And I still maintain
1: my position on that. Right. And I know (laughs) you still maintain yours. Whatever
0: lets you sleep at night. (laughs) night. (laughs) Being a fan of the Next Generation first and then going back and watching the original series, Mm. I as a kid had a hard time. Because I was just like, wait a minute. They say Data's the first. And now I'm watching... All these identical twins, and uh, what, what, what's Bud's wife's name? Stella. Estella. Yeah. When, Stella. Winning it when he has the. Stella. Stella Anyways. Okay. So. All right. Uh, so I, I'll buy that Rand is gone. Maybe she's just off screen, kind of like how Chekhov is always off screen in the first mm, season. Mm-hmm. Down in engineering. I, I, I do have a hard time with uh, the Organian Treaty starting in episode 27, Sam dying in episode 29, and this story set in between those already establishes that the Organians are no longer doing the treaty and that Sam's alive and well and going off to maybe Deneva. Right. So yeah, all they... that happens within one episode. Episode 28 happens and then it's yep. all over. There you go. Exactly. Ouch. Hmm. Interesting. Anyways, uh but enough nitpicking, what'd you think of the story?
1: You know, except for the idea that I am I, I find it difficult to believe what Sam did. How Sam reacted to Fenner's right. lies. Uh once I, I just have a hard time believing that he would think that. Sure. Um but that's part of what makes Kirk so amazed too So Is this saying something That pre-existed In their relationship That Kirk was un- unaware of uh, That somehow his older brother Didn't 100% trust his younger brother I I don't know It just It's just hard hard, right. hard, to, hard to fathom But if truly that was the case Then I think that makes it a lot more interesting As what Sam really did um. Anyway, right. That so I I I I like the story as long as I can get over what seems to be a big glaring inconsistency. Why would older brother Sam
0: not trust his younger brother as much as this? Or he, this or he did trust him, and he was just trying to keep his name from being sullied with false accusations.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it could be, but he ended up murdering him, and and was that an in, intentional or was that truly an accident? Like you said at the beginning, right?
0: I don't know. So I'm uh, still going with an accident because even McCoy and stuff looked at the autopsies and things and said it all. It all pointed to that Sam Kirk was telling the truth.
1: Yeah, yeah, but that's still manslaughter. So right, or whatever. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, so once you get past the first page, you know, which is the setup, um, I, I I like the story and I kind of like, you know, the Sam Kirk walking around the ship telling Mm -hmm. stories about the good old days. I, I kind of like that because that's what friends and old time friends and family end up doing. Exactly. When they talk to your friends or your new family.
1: Right. And I thought his conversation with Rand was kind of interesting. Um, he, I mean, it seems like brother uh, Sam is almost trying to fix him up with Rand, um, right? I mean, he actually said he said that Jim mentioned Rand to right. to him and his wife, and right. it's like mm, that doesn't sound right to me. I don't see why by Kirk would do that. Um, yeah, but, he
0: was like, I can't wait to get this girl off the. Off the bridge, <laughs> <laughs> she's really
1: cute. Mm. Mini skirt, thumbs up. But uh, yeah, it just seemed odd. And then uh, definitely, Rand seemed quite interested in hearing about the captain. Right. Well, she she was always kind of portrayed as having the hot spoon. Was she? Wasn't she? I yeah. I don't know. I thought it. I thought definitely there was that one where they all there was that disease or something that made them like follow their desires or whatever, you know, where Sulu's swashbuckling through the in yeah, the that
0: one. naked space or no, naked The space. naked uh, time, time, naked so, yeah. whatever
1: that is. And you know, at the very at the very end, Kirk is staring at Rand, who is standing right next to him and you know, oblivious to what's going on. And then he looks and says, No beach to walk on, you know, blah blah blah. Um hmm. so it seemed like Kirk had the hots for her, but and it would make sense that she would have the hots for him, I guess, but I don't remember that character actually saying anything like that.
0: Right. But, but she certainly seems to be here. She always gives in him a little story. look. She does? In the show, didn't she always gotta Did give she? him that, that twinkle in her eye look? <laughs> I don't know, maybe. I just don't remember it. And she let the evil Kirk. She played along with the Evil Kirk thing for a good long time before
1: she got a little him.
0: too grabby. Exactly. And she had to scratch him. Anyways. So I like that part because that seemed true to me as far as, you know, like like I said, when a old family member meets your new friends and stuff. Yeah. That, that, that kind of. I I, I like that. And yeah. then I liked I really liked the Koloth thing because in Trouble with Tribbles, they do act like they know who Koloth is even though we had never seen him before, except mm-hmm. for he looks just like Trelane, <laughs> <laughs> So I kind of liked. I, I kind of dug their first meeting here. I thought that was good.
1: Yeah, but you can kind of tri- tell, I don't know. Koloth, um, when he's got Kirk on his ship and he's got him dead to rights, I mean, he's like, um, he's quite, he's quite just, he's just tickled pink that he's got Kirk and right. he's just like, hey, let's, you know, we're both captains. Let's talk about stuff, especially since I got you dead to rights and he's like, he just slap happy and like very train. I mean, at least some of the pictures are quite Trelane-like.
0: Yeah, uh, he probably uh, took it from Trelane, right? Maybe. I, I would assume.
1: Especially, I think there's one in particular, there's a panel where he's like, his mouth is open. He's like, ah, you know, he's like, you know, Koloth is like, He's ecstatic. And that's, I don't right. remember there being scenes like that
0: <laughs> in Trouble with Tribbles. Right, right. Uh, but... But I do like how John Byrne has put in Batleths and stuff in the background <laughs> of the Klingon ship, which is, was not created until the next generation. So they're kind of retconning. The, Ooh, the I didn't notice that. I like that. I like that. Yeah. No, it's good. I liked it. And, and um, I liked the... Uh, the artwork I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a few times it looked a little wonky, but oh well. I mean, I, I still like it. Um, and I liked the George Kirk look. Not George Kirk, Sam Kirk. Mm-hmm. But the only thing I didn't like was his outfit. Why did they put him in that weird pink and yellow? Yeah, multicolored you know, Was that established outfit? in another episode that Prisoners wore... Horrible looking outfits. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I not.
1: I, I don't know. Uh, it Did in Operation Annihilate? I don't remember it well enough. But in Operation Annihilate, was what were the colonists wearing? Oh. Were they wearing anything that looked like that? Um, that might be a reason, but it does look kind of stupid. It looks like a court jester outfit or something. It looks so bad yeah hey i got a joke i got I can juggle yep yeah I don't know, but that would be an interesting bit of continuity go back and 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 see some some stills from operation and I like anyway, I liked it uh i thought it, especially the last shot that you see uh george kirk i think i think Bern did a very good artistic job putting together that that picture uh showing an older william shatner you know modified right. a bit i mean you can see the bags under the eyes and uh you know it, it's not just the hair and, and the and the gray the gray hair uh, the salt and pepper hair i mean you could see facial features that are are, are an older man than you know 35 year old kirk or whatever he was
0: Right, would have been cool if he would have used footage from like the motion picture or something like that. Well,
1: maybe he did. I don't know, or, or at least looked at it for inspiration, maybe, right. to, to maybe. see what you know. What does a fifty-year-old Kirk look like, or a forty-five-year-old Shatner, or whatever? I don't think Shatner's ever been this gray, though. <laughs>
0: well, I, the color—I yeah, I think you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. No, I think he looks good and gray. i like this—this this guy looks very distinguished and fatherly he does he does i like it yeah
1: okay right. about anything else
0: that's it nope all right then uh, let's move on to uh, issue 15 the Traveller. so that's the next gen guy right uh well that was what i was so excited because i was like could this be the uh, tie-in to the next gen
1: <laughs> um,
0: but then, when you see it, you see that they're definitely going with another um, another scientific or sci- sci-fi fiction. trope. There you go, or okay. uh, franchise. Anyways, let's just go on, and I'll tell you all about it. Please do. All right. Issue fifteen came out April of two thousand seventeen, entitled "The Traveler." A photo montage by John Byrne, created by Gene Roddenberry, edits by Chris Royale, published by Ted Adams. So the cover has, the foreground is covered mostly by the red silhouette of a man with his hands up. And inside of the red silhouette is a yellow question mark about where his chest or back would be. The the mid-ground we see uh, Spock, Sulu, Kirk, McCoy, and Scotty. And then the rest of the page is filled with many, many floating robotic heads that look like they're inside of jars. So the story starts with the Enterprise picking up readings from a small ship. When they move towards the ship, they see that it's oddly shaped. And they mention that it looks like a old it looks like an odd kid's toy. They beam over and then they find out that it's much, much larger inside. So what was maybe a hundred meters on the outside is the size of a small planet on the inside. Uh, so they start snooping around and they find that the uh, all the equipment is very strange and unlike anything they've ever seen before. They do find one life sign, and they say it's several hundred meters away, so they, walk, they start walking towards it. Uh, all the while marveling at the size of the ship, and also the weird things. Uh, there's, there's a shot where Scotty touches a shimmering form that looks like it's egg-shaped uh, made out of liquid mercury. And when he touches it, he gets a little shock. So they can't keep their hands to themselves. So eventually they do make it to where the life sign is. And they find a man encased inside of a plastic cocoon. They beam him back over to the ship. And McCoy is able to remove the cocoon and revive the man. He is an eccentric man in a multicolored suit. He calls himself the Traveler because he states that his real name would be impossible for them to pronounce. His playful yet serious personality underlines the brilliant scientific mind underneath, or at least that's what he's portraying. He tells them that there is a species of unstoppable evil creatures on their way, and that he needs the help of the Enterprise to thwart to them from taking over the universe. They beam back over to the Traveler's ship, and they pick up a few of the metal spheres that Scotty had touched earlier. The Traveler is able to hatch these, and they turn into floating robot heads. So if you think about the robot from Lost in Space, or Robbie the Robot, but you just take away the body and it's just his head inside that dome, that's what we're talking about. I guess it's more Robbie the Robot than robot. Anyways, they beam back over to the Enterprise with five of these newly hatched robots. Spock and Sulu stay aboard the Traveler's ship, while the Traveler and his robots help on the Enterprise. Uh, They're able to create 3D holographic maps of the Enterprise for Scotty to, to view the whole ship at once. They're able to boost various systems and things like that. Before too long, the crew pick up strange scans and a huge construction of small ships that make up giant ship appear out of what they're calling hyperspace. The traveler appears on the bridge and he tells Kirk that this is the qual and uh, that he had warned them about earlier. He tries to get Kirk to attack first, but Kirk refuses to go blindly into somebody else's war. The Traveler then produces a small toy gun, and he shoots Kirk with lightning. He then is, shoots a few of the other crew, and then he starts manning the controls himself, and he starts firing at the much, much larger vessel. Uh, this mothership also returns fire, but the Enhanced Enterprise's shields hold. The Qual then beam over hundreds of boarding party troopers. And they look exactly like the Traveler's floating pet robots. The landing parties are not attacking the crew, but they are set on finding the Traveler. The Traveler, in the meantime, is doing everything he can to hurt the intruders, including some sonic devices that he had placed throughout the ship. Spock and Kirk eventually punch him a few times to knock him out. Later, we learn that the Traveler stole a nursery ship hundreds of years ago from the Quall, and he's been selling these hatched babies as slave labor across the quadrant. The Quall are not pure evil. They are just compassionate, sentient robots trying to find their young. They take the Traveler with them so that he can face trial. Before beaming over, the Traveler reverts to his true shape, which must be so horrendous that we, the reader, are never given a shot of exactly what he looks like, except for a evil glowing red eye. The enterprise starts to remove all of the provided enhancements and then McCoy tells Spock that he must envy that robotic race. Spock then tells the doctor that biological forms have their merits. The end. Wow, the traveler sure did pull out a cool gun to shoot Kirk with. I no, I got I got that same gun in my Fruit Loops one time. <laughs> It
1: looks like something you put together with multicolored styrofoam or uh, foam, some foam thing. Right. It looks horrible. Anyway, yeah. so. So. So what? So the Traveler looks like Doctor Who. Yeah, they were definitely going with a Doctor Who vibe. Exactly. Yeah, as soon as you saw him, I mean, especially when they had the multicolored coat on. Uh, like, right. Like, uh, what, what, what are they called? It's a long coat. I mean, it's not as long as it could be, but it's, it's a pretty long coat. It goes, goes down to the upper thigh, and uh, he's got it like, like a tie, a yellow tie, and kind of earthy kind of look to the clothes, except for the multicolored bit.
0: Right. So very, very similar to Doctor Who. And he's in a ship bigger on the inside. Um, Hello. And it was really screaming Doctor Who throughout the whole thing. Yes, it was. And, and, and even the call <clears throat> kind of reminded me of Daleks as far as being sentient robots. Although Daleks are cybernetic, but right. most people just call them robots.
1: Yeah, and I do agree with you. It does look like somehow a cross. That those guys look like a cross between uh, Robby the Robot and a Dalek. Right. Uh, but in neither case, I
0: mean, these guys float. Yeah, these are floating Robbie the Robot heads. With, with little pincher arms. Exactly. Subsequent. Exactly.
1: So anyway, so he he definitely was using our preconception. I mean, he knew
0: what we would think. Oh, when, of course. When he presented this character. Well, even on the cover, I mean, it has the big question mark and the silhouette of what looks like a guy, like maybe like a Tom Baker type silhouette with a big question mark on it. It's like, even just from the first page, I was already thinking Dr. Mm from the just from the cover yeah i i I wasn't thinking
1: of doctor who as much personally i mean that that outline could be like a wizard or something i mean i don't know there's a lot of possibilities but i mean look at the look at the robots though in there i mean they almost look like daleks i mean from what you can see on the cover anyway and uh so yeah yeah you're right and and because it was like the doctor it's like well you trust the doctor right now, the crew never doesn't know anything about the doctor, but we, the reader, is like, well, yeah, yeah, trust him. <laughs> he's he's the doctor. <laughs> and then you then you begin to find out that this guy is not what he says he is, and then you eventually find out he is quite a villain.
0: Right. Yeah, he stole their babies. Yeah, if, if the doctor had stolen the Daleks' babies, they would be mad at him. And then you'd be like, I kind of understand why they're so mad. Exactly. But the Daleks, no, that didn't ever happen, so... No, but even their ship reminded me a lot of, you know, the class, the the more modern Doctor Who um, Dalek ships and stuff. You know, that that maybe borrow a little bit from the Borg, where they're a bunch of little ships that make up giant ships, mm. things like that. So. Yeah, it does seem like a lot of interconnected
1: uh, balls of styrofoam.
0: Yeah, which. I guess this traveler's ship was one of those balls that uh, was the nursery ball that he somehow stole.
1: Right. So the idea when they first saw the traveler's ship, which was quite a bit smaller than the Enterprise, at least what they could see of it. Right. It Turns out that they couldn't see the rest of the ship because the rest of the ship was in a different dimension.
0: Is that what they were? Yeah. Doing? No, because I'm thinking that uh, I'm thinking that this was just a. His ship that he broke away from the the, uh, the mothership, but okay, yeah, it is but... a, there. There is a line where it says the rest of the ships coming through hyperspace, which makes me think, like you said, that maybe they it's just part of the same ship. I don't know. I'm well, going. It's, with... it's a
1: nursery. It's a nursery ship,
0: right? Yeah, oh, yeah I, it's completely separate than this mothership that comes in.
1: Oh, yes, I completely... Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I thought oh, you were I complete, No, it's a completely... It's a nursery ship. Right. And the first thing they're in is the nursery ship. And this thing is the size of a city. It's huge. It's bigger than I've ever seen uh, the Doctor's TARDIS being um, portrayed as being. I mean, it depends upon which, <laughs> which incarnation of the Doctor you're talking about and how much they bothered showing what's inside the TARDIS. But, I mean, they show a swimming pool. I mean, they they show a lot of stuff in the TARDIS. But what they're showing inside of this nursery ship is massive. Absolutely massive. Uh, bigger right. than I've ever seen the TARDIS being
0: depicted. But who knows? Who knows how big the TARDIS really is? Well, they is definitely the say the TARDIS is a lot bigger than we've ever seen. Okay.
1: Yeah. And there's like budget can...
0: inside of it, and things like Oh, that. there's so...
1: zeppelins inside of it. <laughs>
0: yeah, there's there's an episode where there's a zeppelin that comes out. Oh so. oh, oh, I don't I, oh man, I don't remember that one. Uh, I think it was it's the, one of the modern it was one of the animated movies from
1: Oh, an animated movie. Okay, you could do more that way. Right, <laughs> when you're with right. animation, sure. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay, okay,
0: okay. <laughs> and when you don't have to worry about the special effects, uh, you get a little freed up, which I think is what John Byrne was doing here. This is yeah. what it would really look like if you were walking around in the TARDIS. Exactly. There would and be a, a corridor that's literally 67 miles long. Exactly. And, and they're visually showing it, but then then they're talking about
1: how big things are. It's That's just amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah I like amazing. it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I did too. Um, and of course he takes you down a certain path and then, uh,
0: it turns out being quite different than expected. Right. So what do you think about the actor he got to play the traveler? I thought he was great. And did you look him up? Yeah, I looked him up. I did too. So, so interesting. Well, so, I mean, so he's just a, he's a, he's a, a teacher, right? He's, or... he's, he's a teacher. So yeah. he's an
1: adjunct instructor of music uh in the area of applied voice. So he's a singer apparently. And I guess he does um
0: like plays and stuff.
1: Of uh, right. musicals. Musicals.
0: Yeah. I, I found him on the Performing Arts Conservatory of New Cannon, which is uh I guess he's a they have him listed as artistic tutor.
1: Yeah, and I looked him up on the university that he's associated with. Mm. So, uh, Dr. Richard Weed, Weedlich? Weedlich?
0: Weedlich, yeah, is like that my Weedlich?
1: DMA baritone has appeared with opera companies, symphony orchestras, chamber ensembles, and in musical theater productions as well as on compact disc. His most recent performances include a production of The Music Man. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. At the Rich Forum in Stamford, Connecticut, uh playing Professor Harold Hill. So he was playing the music man. Um anyway, that's pretty cool. So he is not just a singer, he he acts. And so it's just so interesting that uh Byrne knows this guy. I mean, is he a buddy of Byrne's? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> or or did 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 Byrne see him in, in a production and go like, ooh,
0: you are my fake Doctor Who. Exactly. And he works. I mean, if they, oh, yeah. they fit him in quite well. I mean, he never looks too out of place with, uh, with the 60s actors. No. At times and... he does. But I mean, but that's yeah. just par with the course with, uh, when you're doing this kind of thing. Exactly. And, and, and
1: I do think uh, because your acting in something like this boils down to still photos. Right. So uh the still photos where he is emoting or doing something or looking particularly um happy with himself. I mean, you know, the face the facial expressions are all good.
0: Right. Uh, then when he turns evil and he's like looking, you know, past the brow of his his, his eyebrows and things like that. I mean, he he gets the uh the gist that uh, this guy's not all he seems to be. Exactly. Yeah, he's evil. Yeah, you don't even need the red, red, the red iris <laughs> eyeball that they give him later. I mean, even from the beginning, he's like, "This guy's, this guy's something, something's up with this guy." Right. Which I thought was good because you know you always get that with the doctor, like with the uh, Peter Capaldi doctor and things like that, where you know he seems all like a happy, happy old man, and then he has that just that look every Morose once in a while. Sadness. You're like, uh, "There's something else going on." I liked it. I I I, I like that a lot. I wish they would have played up with that more here, instead of you know playing his hand so quickly that, that he, he is evil. He is evil. He is the bad guy. Right.
1: Uh, yeah. I, it was interesting that they. The only thing they chose to show you of the true form of the traveler is just a an orange eye iris. Right. I mean, it's not even a full eye. All it is is like the cornea, and that's orange, which is very abnormal. And then like a green, like a dark hunter green and black kind of background. So. Oh, I thought that was like that was his
0: scales or something. Scales? Yeah, I don't know. those are scales. I don't know. Maybe.
1: I don't know, maybe, but uh, but really, they you know burn just you know. I just want you to. I, what what can I show the reader that that gets across the idea. There's something really ooky here without me having to actually design a creature. And, uh, I, I I think he did it. I think he achieved it. I think it looks pretty, pretty cool. Although obviously, you know, he, he took a shortcut, but it works.
0: It works. Yes. I liked it. it, I mean, not to keep telling you what, what I think things remind me of, but, Mm -hmm. um, the eighth doctor movie the the movie that introduces the eighth doctor it it starts off with a close-up of the master's eyes and things and the whole movie has a, a fetish for eyes oh hmm. and uh, so like the first shot of like these like e- this, these evil eyes and stuff mm-hmm. really kind of reminded me of that because it was like a super close-up of these eyes hmm. and the voiceover says that it's the master but but you've never seen the master look like that before you know that kind right. of thing so, I don't know if that was where he was going with it or just a coincidence that uh, it's a Doctor Who homage that happens to have an eyeball thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but who knows? Maybe that's where he got it from.
0: Right. I mean, that's okay to be
1: inspired by, uh, by things as long as you don't blatantly rip it off too much. Sure. And I really don't get this, any of this being a Doctor
0: Who rip off. So. No, definitely not a ripoff. It's, a, it's an homage, I think. Yeah, yeah. Which is good. I mean, because Gary Seven's kind of an homage, too. Oh. Well, I don't know. Is it? Or is it a ripoff? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It seems like a bit of a ripoff to me. So that one seems like a ripoff, and this one seems like an homage. Well, yeah.
1: Yeah, quite frankly. Because, <laughs> I mean, Burn purposely made him look like the Doctor. I mean, how could you not get the Doctor from this? Right now, when I mean when I was growing up, I watched The Doctor, and I watched Star Trek, and I never thought of Gary Seven as being uh, like the Doctor at all. And it was not until I was rereading all this stuff and it was like, oh, you know, Gary's a lot like the Doctor. I mean, I, you know, I, I was pretty, you know, I, before I realized it, I was. It Was probably us when we were doing podcasts and stuff that I first realized that. So. Oh really? Yeah, I never really saw how it was how Gary is so <laughs> mm. is is so much a Doctor Who
0: channeling Doctor Who. Yeah. Right. Cool. Was, okay, so when did you figure it out? Um, I, probably around the same time, but I never, I never gave it much thought because I never really liked that episode.
1: Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, I did,
0: but okay. So but again, you, you got to remember, I grew up with Next Generation being my Star Trek, and then mm-hmm. watching the original series just as a. Well, there's no more Next Generation to watch. I'll watch them both. Exactly. Might as well give this old cheesy show a shot. <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> so, how'd you like the holographic Enterprise? In engineering,
0: I liked it a lot. I thought it was a cool like it it looks it looks you know, like the sixties futuristic. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it looks like something like maybe they would have tried to do in the sixties. As if, opposed if to if they had a budget. Would, right, exactly. <laughs> as opposed to what it would look like if they were doing it today with today's special effects. Right. I liked it a lot. I, I thought it was a good
1: idea. I mean it, it made me totally think of Tony Stark and uh and some of the Avengers stuff. And, oh yeah, but um, but the idea of being able to have a three d representation of the enterprise that you could look at it from any angle and like zoom in on uh parts that may be amiss to to right. give you to give you a better view of what's really going on. I mean, they have displays all over the place, so they can zoom in and figure out a lot of stuff, but the idea of having an interface like that is kind of cool, and
0: yeah, it's, it's like. Really
1: cool. And and I, I I agree with Scotty. Uh, do you mind if I hold on to this bit, Captain? I, I kind of like
0: this. I did look at the next issue just to just to see something, and uh, I just scrolling through it, I did see that uh, he does have it in the next issue. Oh no
1: way! That's but so he does, funny.
0: He does keep it for a while.
1: That's so funny. <laughs> That's cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really cool.
1: Huh. Yeah, because this whole idea about, ooh, we got to get rid of all the uh, upgrades any kind of, uh, you know, advanced thing does because we have to do things by our own bootstraps. It's like, well, you know, once in a while, you know,
0: why don't you keep some of this stuff? Well, they got to get rid of it because the next episode they don't have it. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Continuity. But still. Got to hit that reset button at the end. Yeah. All right, anything else? Nope. That's it for me. All right. Well, there is a B story. So, shall we talk about it? Uh y-
1: y- well, uh, the B story. Uh okay, yeah, yeah go ahead.
0: Yeah, so All right. So the B story is a two-page, yes, two-page continuation of a story that started way back in New Visions issue number 2 titled Sweet Sorrow. So that was in 2014, it was a few pages long at the end of issue number two called Sweet Sorrow. Uh, we covered it way back in uh, episode 252, so almost 100 episodes of the show ago. <laughs> so what we're talking about it as an old issue. Anyways, um, so this is a continuation, and literally all this does is establishes that Ahura beams to a planet that ran now lives on. She's a civilian. And then Ahura comments that uh, Rand must be having a hard time since Andrew died twenty months ago. Right. And then Rand says that she is, and that she wants to try to get back on the Enterprise. And then it just says more to come. So I find it funny that something he established years ago, mm-hmm. uh, he's bringing he back decides here to revisit. Yeah, and there's no like little like footnote that says. To know what the hell we're talking about, see issue number two. <laughs> I literally had to go through each issue. It was like I started, started with 13 all the way back down trying to find out. I was like, I do kind of remember there was an episode or an issue where Rand leaves the ship. And I had to go back all the way down to issue number two. Finally found it. Cool. Well,
1: until you mentioned it, I didn't even know this was here. <laughs> So I, as you're talking about it, I was just reading it, scanning it quickly. Right. Uh, so in so that issue thank number you two, for, for telling me where this fits in.
0: Exactly. I well, I when I read it, I had no idea. I had to go back and figure it all out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So back in issue number two, um, again, it was a very short. It was longer than two pages, but it was uh, Hora. I mean not Hora. Uh, Rand, former fiance named Andrew, was. Leaving the Federation because he was sick or something, and she was leaving the Enterprise to go stay with him, and that was basically the whole story. Uh, that's really all I remember of it. Yeah. And then then there's like this like Kirk and Kirk and Rand, kind of like the the Sam thing where Kirk's like standing on the in the transporter room as she's beaming away, and they kind of have a moment of what what could have happened if they would have gotten together instead of her getting together with this sick guy. Right. And then that's it. And then 13 issues later, he brings it back. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, not much to talk about on this issue. I did kind of like the uh, the creatures and stuff that are just in the background at the travel port. I guess it's supposed to be like a airport type thing where people are just beaming in. Mm-hmm. Some, some weird looking aliens come down on this planet.
1: Yeah, but in some cases just a guy with blue skin. Sure. But there is one that looks like a puppet. Yeah. What? What? You see? Is that the? That's the like pink guy? Is that supposed to be a? Head? Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Right there next to where a horse kissing. Right. Ran. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's supposed to be some person with a headdress. Huh. Yeah. So the neck looks like it's almost
1: reptilian green. If that is the neck, and then the the the
0: face is kind
1: of like uh, I don't know what it is but it's pink
0: yeah it kind of looks like rx maybe a little bit but mm-hmm. but yeah, it's pink with a giant eyeball <laughs> with right. a big head like a with a headdress with a bunch of feathers in it it's a very interesting look yes yes so yeah yep so there i guess andrew died and uh she's now wanting to come back to the enterprise yes I, right. I guess he's going to continue this story in the next issue that's the reason why I was looking at the next issue to see if <laughs> if he's going to wait another 10 issues before he brings us back up. Oh,
1: so he does try to do something with us in the next issue. Yeah, yeah, in okay. the next issue. Cool. Speaking of the next issue,
0: uh huh. Uh-huh. what are we doing next time, Donovan? All right, so Ken, we're going to do issues 49 through 51 of Gold Key Comics next week. Gold Key. Okay, we're going back uh, doing Gold Key. Cool. We haven't done
1: that for a little while. Um. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we'll just have some awesome
0: stories. Yeah, just watch, looking enjoy. at the covers, as always, the covers usually look really cool. Yeah. So we got two really cool covers and then one really weird couple cover that looks like, you know, I don't know, looks like Geppetto's like trying to grab the Enterprise. It's weird.
1: Well, OK, so I see 49. The cover is a lady's face in a
0: cloud. And the Enterprise is upside down. Yeah, yes. that one's awesome.
1: Yeah, it looks cool. It's just uh, because that's a, that's a view of the Enterprise you don't normally see. At least not with that orientation. It Looks good. I just, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's the deal with the cloud lady?
0: Hmm. Can't wait to find out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we shall. And then fifty. Yeah, it's issue issue fifty one is the one that has like an old man that looks like Geppetto from the Peter Pan. Not Peter Pan. Pinocchio movie. Oh, oh, yeah, there he is. And he's, like, trying to grab the Enterprise at a space station or something. Yeah. Looks a little cheesy.
1: It looks like almost Neelix could have played that role.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. I was thinking William... Uh, what was the guy who, who used to do the diabetes commercials? Oh! Uh, Wilfred Brimley? Wilfred Brimley, yeah. Diabetes? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You know, obviously his most famous role is from uh, the Star Wars Ewoks movie, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I guess he's had other roles. Yeah, w- was
1: it wasn't the paper chase, but he was on some TV show as a regular.
0: Yeah, he was in the, no, not eight is enough. Uh, yeah, he was in some show. So so that's how we knew about him,
1: although I obviously neither one of us can remember the show but mm-hmm. uh but then the diabetes commercials those were probably
0: that's his legacy yeah
1: i mean my my kids used to love him uh well, he was in the thing oh that's right he was in the thing wasn't he huh yeah but um the, the remake of course Oh, the uh, original uh well yeah the it, thing the... not not the
0: thing from another world
1: yeah the kurt russell one right right it was a remake um right Okay, he was in that. Anyway, but, but for some – for whatever, it was a meme. His, his thing about diabetes and not being able to pronounce it the way most people would, and he's the spokesman for it, which is a very serious thing. Diabetes is a very serious thing. It's just that you'd think that he probably would be able to pronounce it in a more typical way, being a spokesman for it, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, my kids – it was like a meme that my kids just got the biggest kick out of. Oh every, really? Every time he'd be on there doing his thing, and he'd say diabetes, uh, in his special way, the kids would just crack up.
0: Anyway. Yeah, I like. I, I always like those. Yeah, yeah. But again, his Star Wars, his Star Wars stint has always been my favorite. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> they made two Ewok movies, and he's he's in the second one.
1: Ugh. So Ewok movies. So yeah. these are like specials or something on TV specials or something. Yeah, they were what? they
0: were TV movies. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he okay. plays the uh, kindly old man that helps the little girl in the second episode, in the second movie. Okay. Well, there you go. I think he was typecast. He always plays the kindly old man. You <laughs> want He was a middle aged young man. He played the kindly old man. Alright, well thank you everybody for listening and we'll be back next week with some Gold Key goodness. Oh, that sounds great. See you next week everybody. Thanks for
1: joining us on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us